The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday. You're watching Scorebox. Should we give you some headlines? Yes, I think so. Right. China's GDP rises 3.2% in a sharp rebound from the first quarter. That topped expectations. But Asian equities are staying in the red as second wave fears remain. Twitter is forced to freeze some of its uh, most high-profile accounts after hackers target the profiles of loads, including Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates and Joe Biden, sending Twitter shares down more than 3% in extended trade. Oil prices oscillate after OPEC and its allies agree to unwind record output cuts. The declines are capped by the news of a drawdown in U.S. inventories. Plus, shares in China's biggest chipmaker, SMIC, soar in their debut trade, rising almost 250% as the group lists in Shanghai. And here in Frankfurt, the ECB faces a crucial test as the central bank is set to hold off further measures, but will look to prove it has more firepower if needed. We bring you full coverage in the run-up to decision time. Right, good numbers out of China. Well, the headline, this could be key, and I'm sure Sam will pick up on this as well. Uh, China's economy grew by 3.2% in the second quarter. That beat expectations uh, and did rebound, of course, from a historic first quarter contraction. This is the country eases its lockdowns and increases central bank stimulus. The latter, absolutely key, of course. But, and there were some buts, I'm afraid, retail sales slumped by 1.8% in June, missing expectations of return to growth for the first time in five months. Fixed asset investment, again, this is a key factor in the uh, Chinese growth story over the last decades. Uh, fixed asset investment also decreased, whilst industrial production rose by 4.8%. So, Sam, lovely to see you today. Uh, a nuanced set of figures, despite a very flashy headline. Absolutely, Steve. Good morning to you. That uh, Q2 GDP uh, does sort of provide some optimism, but, uh, you know, mainland equity markets don't seem to be cheering that headline number today. As you said, that better than expected figure comes as China uh, got back to business after some of these strict lockdowns, uh, also travel restrictions, but also as we saw some of that stimulus kick in. But the Stats Bureau still warned this morning that China's recovery still faces pressure due to external risks and challenges. And so these concerns could perhaps be weighing on that investor sentiment there, uh, coupled with a lot of these geopolitical tensions with the US. In terms of that key data for the month of June, it was a bit of a mixed picture pointing to an uneven recovery in China. Industrial output offered the economy some relief, uh, rising 4.8%, the third straight month of growth and pretty much in line with expectations, suggesting that production is continuing to pick up and also domestic demand uh, is improving uh, amid this boost in infrastructure spending. Fixed asset investment fell 3.1% for the first six 
months of the year from the same time last year. Also better than expectations and certainly uh, an improvement on that 6.3% decline uh, in the first five months of the year. But it was the retail sales missed expectations falling 1.8% year on year. Analysts were expecting this to rise slightly, but this means that retail sales have now slumped for a six-month straight, suggesting that there are concerns perhaps about jobs forcing many people to continue tightening their belts. So far, consumption growth has been lagging in this recovery and suggests that, you know, if the Chinese consumer really is anything to go by, then we still perhaps do have a long road ahead. As this time last year, we were looking at retail sales figures at around 8% year on year. Steve, back to you. Excellent summary of events. Thank you very much indeed for that. We'll see you a little bit later on, of course, Sam. Right, well, let's get um, some more analysis on this. Hongbin Q joins us, who is the chief China economist and co-head of Asia Economics at HSBC Global Research. Sir, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I have uh, your uh, your headlines from this as well. So we, we obviously, we're not going to be pedantic. We like the headline figure. But as the points Sam was talking about there, concerns about the consumer, concerns about the fixed asset investment, is it me being nitpicking to to have a look at those figures in more detail. Uh, yes, I, uh, I think a couple points I want to highlight. Firstly, you know, headline numbers is indeed a big kind of upside surprises relative to the market expectations, uh, the, which, shows, which, which means that at least some part of the economy has been rebound faster than people expected. Uh, those sectors is most likely include the government spending on a new structure project as well as the property market. And the property investment, uh, at the same time, uh, some kind of a public service sector uh, has also uh, rebounded fairly quickly. Uh, however, uh, the, the private sector, prop, uh, especially the, prop, uh, the private uh, consumer spending, uh, is still uh, significantly left behind. And uh, at the same time, the private sector's business investment is still remaining weak. So it uh, looks like we, 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 we do see a, a, a pretty strong headline GDP numbers, but that is mainly driven by the, you know, the government uh, stimulus related uh, kind of sectors. Uh, the, you know, the private sector, both in terms of consumer as well as the, uh, as the corporate sector, still remain rather cautious in terms of spending. Yeah, and, and totally understandable why the consumer globally, let alone in China, does not want to spend at the moment. We're seeing a similar trend in more consumer-led economies in the UK, in the US and elsewhere as well. But when, sir, when will this enormous stimulus that's coming from the Chinese authorities, the Chinese government, when will that be replaced by private sector spending as well? Do you expect that anytime soon, possibly in the third quarter? Uh, well, I think the uh, economy happens very, very gradually, and the government so far has already kind of the targeted the you know in terms of monetary easing, it's specifically targeted the encouraging bank banks to lend to to the, uh, to the SMEs, and uh, that should be you know uh, helpful in terms of all the uh, you know for the for the recovery in the you know, SME sectors, and then gradually through the labor market. Uh, but then again, you know, it's 
time for that sort of measure to feel through to the uh, you know to the corporate sector. So in terms of timing, I think probably we have to wait to uh, towards the end of the year for us to see basically the you know they cope the private sector to to gradually kind of the you know uh, come uh, recover. <clears throat> Sir, I'm a natural worrier. So if I had my list of worries, which is the pandemic, uh, global politics and concern about uh, with the US as well, the tr- relationship there, the consumer, the debts which are racking up in China or indeed global trade more generally. What do you worry about the most? Uh, what could dent the recovery? Uh, two things. First, I think most of found is still the you know the consumer in the consumer sector. I think the you know the if you look at the income, uh, the household disposable income. Um, the first quarter was a nearly four percent contraction year on year. Uh, second quarter, the latest number uh, is still in negative growth territory. So, so the income is a bit of the household income is a bit of the like. Uh, Kind of drop in terms of the, you know, in terms of overall kind of the economic recovery, and without kind of the uh, improvement in the labor market and then the labor income, I think the consumer consumer spending is now going to pick up meaningfully. That again, I think will continue to be a challenge for for China's kind of economic recovery in the in the, in, the, in the coming quarters. You are not a stock market analyst. I know that that's a huge caveat before I ask the next question. But do you think the expectations when we look at these mainland Chinese equity markets have just gone way too far? Indices that are now trading significantly higher than where we were before the pandemic hit. Uh, uh, yes, I think the fact that, you know, this morning we had this kind of the, you know, stronger than expected kind of headline GDP numbers came out. That's what the equity market has been, you know, given up, up a little bit of the game in the previous stage rather than kind of get, uh, get, you know, excited. So that tells you a lot about the, you know, the, uh, the market segment, uh, particularly, especially, you know, in the, come, you know, in the last few weeks. You know, this kind of the big jump in the market, you know, at least in the Shanghai market, which probably seems that has been wrong ahead of itself, relative to the basically even to the stronger than expected kind of recovery in the economic activity. Thank you very much indeed for finding time to speak to us today. I'm sure you're busy writing up reports on the back of this data as well. So nice to hear from you, sir. Hong Min Kyu, who is the uh, chief China economist and co-head of Asia Economics, HSBC Global Research. So that was the Chinese data. Again, really good on the surface, but concerns about the consumer and asset investment uh, beneath the surface. What about the United States yesterday? Did you like the data yesterday? I haven't asked you yet. I did. It was good, wasn't it? No. No, no, no. Okay. I thought the industrial production figures were much better. I thought the Empire State survey was mildly encouraging as well. So I like the data, even if you didn't. Do you want to know what's coming up today? Big ones, jobless claims and retail sales. The retail sales, surely, absolutely key, especially what we're seeing uh, in the Sun Belt and and in the southern states as well. So this is the US markets from yesterday. It was a a solid rally again. Again. What's happening? We've got a, an underperformance of the Nasdaq compared with the other broader markets as well. Uh, extraordinary. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the broader markets in a moment because we've got some mid caps to look at. But I'll look at Moderna first because one of the catalysts for the upside at the moment is first Biontech. Very interesting news from them and Pfizer uh, 48 hours ago, uh, 72 hours ago, 48 hours ago. Then we get Moderna again, 6.9%. That's all right, isn't it? Did you have any of those? 
<laughs> Never mind. Yeah, neither did I. I'm not allowed. Um, 310% up year today. Of course, this is on hopes that these vaccines are coming together. The early stage trials from BioNTech uh, and uh, Pfizer and then Moderna. And now, in the last 24 hours, out of AstraZeneca and Oxford University, we understand on this side of Atlantic, encouraging. Let's not get carried away, everybody, but encouraging results from phase ones and phase twos that we're seeing on both sides of Atlantic. So let's just keep our fingers crossed on that one. Uh, but as I say, an outperformance of mid caps and small caps compared with the, uh, the, the, the bigger flashier names. Again, what did I say to you? The Nasdaq was up 0.6%, wasn't it? Yeah, 0.59. Look, 3% higher for the S&P 400. And again, I have enormous numbers of caveats, but we are seeing a revisiting of airlines, of industrial production. Industrials were the biggest sector up yesterday, 2.6% higher. So look, this rotation may be short-lived, but there is a rotation going on, and you know it as well. So the S&P 400 index, 3% up. But look, there you go. There's a bit of rotation still to go. We're down 11% year-to-date uh, on that um, subsector of the broader market, as opposed to uh, the Nasdaq, which is up 18%. So, you know, a bit of way to go. Right, financials. It's broadly reassuring so far, isn't it? Goldman Sachs, these were big, has beaten second quarter earnings expectations, delivering the bank's best performance, or outperformance, says in my read, in nearly a decade. Now, Mr. Frost, goes by the name of Wilfred Frost, has more on the investment bank's results. Goldman Sachs smashed analysts' top and bottom line estimates for the second quarter. The most pronounced part of the beat was trading, particularly fixed income, currencies and commodities. FIC revenue was $4.2 billion, up a massive 250% year-over-year. JP Morgan yesterday was up 120%, Cities up 70%. $2.9 billion in equity trading revenue, that was up 46% year-over-year. Also strong, JP Morgan up 40%, Citi was in fact slightly down year-over-year. Their investment banking revenue also pretty impressive, $2.7 billion. The question, of course, now is whether this can all be repeated in the second half of the year. Here is CEO David Solomon on that topic as it relates to capital markets. I don't have a crystal ball as to what's going to happen in the next six months. I've had some discussions with people where people talk about some capital markets activity being pulled forward, and there's no question that some refinancing has been pulled forward. At the same point, there's been a whole bunch of activity that we could have never imagined would have occurred because of the virus and the economic consequences of the shutdown. So when you look at industries like airlines and cruise and travel and leisure, there's been an enormous amount of capital and markets activity that was completely unanticipated. PNC and USB also had their earnings on Wednesday. USB's numbers were strong, beats on both lines, and they had less of an increase in provisions for bad loans than had been forecast. PNC less positive on the provisions front, but nonetheless, the stock closed higher. Why? Well, USB and PNC were not as bad as Wells Fargo the day before, which was still a question that the regional banks needed to answer. Wells Fargo itself reversing most of Tuesday's losses, so the positive vaccine news earlier in the day moving the sector higher, as it did with all cyclical stocks. That despite all bank CEOs referencing the enormous uncertainty over the economic outlook and its reliance on government stimulus. Either way, banks closed up strongly. Morgan Stanley and Bank of America, the ones to report on Thursday. Wilfred Frost, CNBC Business News. Hang on, Frosty, I was about to say that. The mega week for US bank earnings continues. 
Get out of my way. Bank of America, Morgan Stanley up next. There you go. Uh, Both are scheduled to report before the market opens, uh, shedding more light on how the pandemic has affected the banking industry. Morgan Stanley expected to have benefited from the same surge in bond trading that boosted rivals such as Goldman and JP Morgan's top lines. And Morgan Stanley chairman and CEO James Gorman will speak to CNBC, probably to Wilfred, uh, later today. That's first on CNBC, 1500 CET. So that's the markets. Unfortunately, we still got this uh, horrendous pandemic, which we haven't mentioned much in the show, have we? More than 3.5 million people have now tested positive for coronavirus in the United States. Huge. With the number of deaths surpassing 138,000. Now, that's according to the NBC News's latest tally. This comes after the country reported its second biggest one day jump in cases, California and Florida posting near record increases. Uh, People in Alabama now will be required to wear masks in public starting today. The emergency order will remain in place until the end of the month at least. Alabama has seen a 50% increase in infections over the past two weeks and is the latest state to impose a mask requirement. Meanwhile, uh, starting next week, Walmart will require customers to wear masks in the stores. The uh, biggest U.S. retailer says about 65% of stores already have the policy in place, but added that this move will help bring consistency. The new requirement will be implemented at Sam's Club locations as well. Got a question for all of you, though. Who implements these policies? We're having a big debate here in the U.K. Do the retailers have to say, get your mask on? Or do the police have to be called to get people to get their mask on? It's a huge debate, and I don't know the answer. And if you're a retailer and someone's not wearing a mask, but you've been suffering for months and months and months, and someone wants to buy a load of stuff from you and hasn't got a mask on, don't know the answer. Right, coming up on the show, trouble for Twitter. A number of high-profile political and business leaders see their accounts hacked in a digital currency scam. Find out who has been caught uh, up in this after the break. Plus... More on the rebound in the Chinese economy. Check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's a winner today. I can assure you I'm all over it. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Big day for European equities yesterday. They had a good rally. Um, cool to give some of it back at the start of trading today. Uh, the FTSE peaked uh, significantly over 6,300 yesterday. Closed at 6,292, I think. Um, so we cooled down a little bit on the opening uh, calls from the spread betters. Right, this is, a, this is a huge story. We'll get Arjun up on this one. A number of high-profile Twitter accounts have been hacked. I mean, we're talking serious players here. Uh, there you go, Joe Biden. Uh, with tweets urging followers to send Bitcoin to a specific address. The social media company described the event as a, quote, coordinated social engineering attack uh, and said it was... Coordinated social engineering attack. Why don't you just call it a hack? Anyway, and said it was uh, investigating what information may have been accessed. Shares in Twitter fell in extended trading. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll hear from Marjorie, but let's go to NBC's Dan Shenneman first. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, former President Obama, former Vice President Joe Biden. Just a few of the Twitter accounts targeted by a massive hack. It is a, has all the classic elements of a scam. They're basically using this to convince people to uh, transfer their money over to this account. 
Each of the tweets urges users to send Bitcoin to a specific address. With the promise that they will be paid back double, instead that money is being withdrawn. NBC News has learned at least several hundred people responded, sending in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Twitter released a statement saying, We are aware of a security incident impacting accounts on Twitter. We are investigating and taking steps to fix it. But the greater issue here, of course, is it shows a huge security flaw in a social network. A network used by entertainers, business leaders, and the president of the United States. Dan Shenneman, NBC News. Arjun, this just confirms the view of many. Good morning, Arjun, my old friend. Uh, it just confirms the view of many that Bitcoin is used primarily for a lot of crooks as well out there uh, in, in some way, shape or form. I'm sure someone at Bitcoin would be annoyed with me about that. They normally are. What do you think? Yeah, two things there, I think, Steve. Let's deal with the Bitcoin issue. Certainly, yeah, just it adds to that terrible reputation it does have as something uh, that is used for nefarious purposes, for sure. But I think, like, the big issue here we need to look at is Twitter as well. Because when we look at Twitter here, you mentioned their coordinated social engineering attack. What that usually means is that someone on the inside of the company has been tricked into uh, potentially uh, helping hackers obtain some information. So that's why this might not necessarily be a sophisticated hacking attack as such. What we do know and what Twitter said so far is that there was an employee who was targeted by the uh, hackers who had access to certain tools and those tools were then used by the hackers to take over these accounts and tweet out this Bitcoin scam as well. So that's a big issue because if this was someone on the inside, was this done on purpose? Were they tricked into doing it? These are the kind of questions I think Twitter is going to be investigating and we're certainly going to be asking of the company as well. So I think that's the big issue here. And of course, we know this platform is used by some major players, uh, not least the president of the United States. And with the U.S. election coming up, I think this is a very serious issue that Twitter needs to look at and address and make sure there's no more holes in its inside personnel. Yeah, thanks. I'm just looking at the the Elon Musk fake tweet, by the way, which was fake spelt. They can't spell grateful, buffoons. But anyway, uh, feeling grateful, doubling all payments sent to my BTC address. You send a thousand bucks, I send back two thousand. I mean, who falls for this stuff anyway? Who are you out there who said if you're in Bitcoin, surely you're smart enough not to fall for anyway, whatever. Right. Shares in semiconductor manufacturing international are more than 200 percent higher. Uh, Arjun's still there, by the way. Uh, 200% higher in their debut in Shanghai. SMIC's listing comes as China looks to grow its semiconductor sector amid trade tensions with the United States. Did you know we've got Arjun Kapoor on this story as well? Uh, they're up to... <laughs> He's back! Don't you take over my show. 216% higher, Arjun. <laughs> Yeah, massive, massive monster rally this morning, Steve. I mean, those shares opened up at 95 yuan a piece. They were priced at 27.46 yuan per share. So a huge rally this morning. Then now, I mean, SMIC is a semiconductor listed in, uh, company listed in Hong Kong. It's Shanghai shares, what we're talking about here, have a 200% premium to their Hong Kong listed shares. Now, I just want to dig in to why this listing is so significant because SMIC sort of is the crown jewel in China's ambitions to grow a homegrown semiconductor industry, a domestic one. And this is an effort that's been ramped up in the past couple of years because of the trade war with the United States, a number of sanctions on companies like Huawei, which are now looking for alternatives to uh, semiconductor supplies. Now, the issue with SMIC is it's very far behind rivals TSMC in Taiwan and Samsung's uh, Samsung over in South Korea. Those are other contract chip makers as well. Its technology is very far behind them. So 
they've raised about 6.6 billion US dollars in this listing and doing that they're going to reinvest that in the technology and hopefully uh, catch up and hope to catch up with these other firms so it's it's a very important moment for this company but it's also a very important moment for China's semiconductor industry so no doubt the government and the company itself will be watching it very closely and be happy with the way these shares have performed on the opening day of trade. I'm told it's not a hack, but there's a picture of you right on our landing page of CNBC.com, an article uh, by you uh, about this story as well. So it's a bit of an Arjun Kapoor takeover today. Nice work, my friend. Uh, For more on SMICs, if you can scroll down. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling. There he is. (laughs) <laughs> and the lovely Nancy as well. Right, SMIC's mainland listing. Check out this wonderful story by Arjun on CNBC.com as well. I'm not sure if he's happy about sharing a picture of Nancy, though. It's the ego thing. Right, the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has announced the Trump administration will impose visa restrictions on key employees of Huawei and other Chinese firms accused of supporting human rights violations. Washington is expected to officially reveal a set of new measures against Chinese companies soon aimed at protecting U.S. citizens' data from Beijing. Mr. Pompeo said all telecommunications firms, telecommunications firms which do business with Huawei, should, quote, consider themselves on notice. Today, Europe's top court will decide on whether it is uh, legal for companies to share the data between Europe and the US. The case will see Facebook and Austrian privacy activist Max Schrems uh, square off again. Uh, The ruling could lead to the privacy shield being struck down. That's the agreement that allows Europe and the US to share data in compliance of European law, which would disrupt hundreds of thousands of companies. Uh, Meanwhile, shares in Apple continue to edge towards the $400 mark after the EU's general court dismissed claims that the tech giant owed some 13 billion euros in unpaid tax to the Irish government. The Luxembourg-based court didn't find enough evidence in the European Commission's case that Apple received a special tax advantage from Dublin, which would have uh, been deemed illegal state aid. The ruling comes as a blow to the EU's crackdown on low tax arrangements for multinationals in the bloc. Brussels has two months to appeal the decision in the highest court. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.